Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of the Monday After. It's the Monday After Ohio State 24, Michigan 30. Michigan 30, Ohio State 24 in a glum, gloomy, and cloudy Columbus, Ohio. It was 31 degrees, felt like 21 on the radar, and we did not feel like going to the horseshoe because we didn't want to freeze our tails off for uh, 45 minutes, breaking down uh, disappointing uh, edition of the game for Ohio State. Number th- number two, Ohio State goes down to Michigan 30 to 24, but you already know that by now. Over there in the middle, Andy Backstrom. On the other side of that screen, Tim May. I'm Spencer Holbrook. Uh, fellas, we're going to get into it a lot. Um, but it's three straight, another edition of the game that, that Ryan Day and the Buckeyes don't get done. And unlike the last two where you get blown out and you have no clue uh, you know what, what the future holds, Part of me, after rewatching, looked at it and said that this was just a really good game between two teams and the road team lost by one score. Another part of me looks at it and says, man, the Buckeyes left a lot on the field. Um, I'll toss it to you first, Andy. What, what did you think and, and where do you fall on that between two good teams lost by one score and, man, Ohio State should have done things differently? Well, I totally would. Tim and I were saying right before we filmed their video after the game is if you didn't have a stake in this game, you were just watching this game as a fan of college football, a fan of sports, this was one of the best rivalry games you could ever see. I thought it was highly entertaining back and forth. I know Michigan was in the lead the whole time, but except for when the game was tied 17, 17, but I think that if you're an Ohio state fan, of course, that's not good enough. Right. And and it shouldn't be. And I think that you know, go back to the missed opportunities. It's from the first drive on Emeka Buka drops a pass and you just wonder, well, what if, you know, you get going, you stay ahead of the sticks, you keep drives alive. They just couldn't really do that in that first quarter. Another for this team, it's been a second half team. Of course, it's hard to be a second half team against a team like Michigan. And I think my main point I want to emphasize is that like, again, I know I talked a lot about creativity after the game. It's more of a combination of creativity and aggression. Like Michigan goes for it three times on fourth down. Ohio state doesn't go for it at all on fourth down. You know, they had two opportunities to do so. Michigan has a halfback option pass. We don't see anything of the sort from Ohio State. Michigan uses a quarterback, Alex Orgy, to run the football 20 yards. That kind of slingshots one of their drives. We don't see any of Devin Brown, any of that wrinkle. So those are just kind of like the things that I compare and contrast and say one team just kind of emptied the chamber and the other, as you said, Spencer, kind of left some things on the bone. Yeah. The question is, though, did, did Ohio State have a lot of things it didn't throw out there? You know, I, uh, I've been discussing this with other people uh, since you and since we all we three got together after the game, and uh, the thing that has struck me as I look back, I mean, from a second guessing standpoint, it has nothing to do with necessarily the plays that were called uh, on Saturday. It has to do with that injury to Devin Brown against Penn State, which set him back. You know, he looked like he was moving okay. Uh, really, you look like he's moving the best we've seen him in pregame warmups, but I don't think it didn't seem like there's ever even a hint of maybe putting him in there for a change of pace like they did with Orgy, uh, the, the the quarterback who went in there, clearly was a wildcat, and Ohio State don't let him go, what, 20 yards on his first carry, but stuff happens like that. But I, I, just, I just wonder, you know, when you're sitting here now, uh, they clearly had plans for Devin Brown to progress as this season went along. And uh, and then all of a sudden the injury looked like a big-time high ankle sprain from what I could tell. But that injury just set them back. And my point is those those are one of the options you'd like to have in a game like this where you can just 
you know, have the other team puzzled when a guy goes in, what's this all about, et cetera. They weren't able to spring that surprise, although they did spring some surprises, for example, with the Xavier Johnson on the inside, a little cut-up inside play, which he hadn't shown all year. I thought that was a that was a nice wrinkle for this team because uh, Michigan did not handle that. Uh, that that play almost broke, as a matter of fact. And uh, so there were some things Ohio State did that it hadn't done before. But uh, you're right, um, you know, uh, the aggression part of it, uh, we we all uh, talked about the fourth and two at the, what was that, the 40, no, the 30-something yard line, 35-yard line, uh, just before the half with like 30-something seconds left. And they opted to let the clock run down to, what, three seconds before they tried a 52-yard field goal. Uh, as Ryan Day explained, his, his motive there was to get points. Fourth and two is not a given. Uh, if they had not gotten it on fourth and two, they would have turned the ball over and would not have had a shot at a field goal. I understand all of his thinking, but as you look back on it in retrospect, a lot of people have uh, you know, questioned that as being a moment where the aggression wasn't there. I think trying to get some more points on the board would was nice, you know, because when you really whittle this game down, Michigan scored three touchdowns, Ohio State scored three touchdowns. Michigan kicked what three field goals? Ohio State kicked one or made one. So uh, that's it in a nutshell. As I like to say, I mean, you could we could parse all these other different things, and we will, and it's fun to do. Well, fun for us to do, but it really comes down to who scored more points. Yeah, Ohio State misses a field goal. Michigan makes an additional field goal. That's right, and the the margin is six points. Right. That's I that mean, means Michigan. The two, the two turnovers where I agree on cliches about games, the two turnovers for Ohio State were huge when they happened. And they are huge. They Thus, they weigh huge now. The interception there early in the game that uh, set up Michigan for its uh, go-ahead score. And then the interception at the end of the game when Cal McCord was hit sort of as he threw the ball. And uh, the, the Michigan kid made a hell of a play on it to intercept the ball, the diving interception. End of game, though. Uh, though those weigh huge in this one. Well, I'm I'm not even you know talk about turnovers, situations, aggression. I wasn't even as angry on the rewatch with Ryan Day not going for it on the fourth and two at the end of the half. But if you're Ryan Day, you've lost two straight games to Michigan. You're trying to set the tone early for your team. You're trying to show that you believe in them on the road. You get a fourth and inches uh, on the first drive of the game at midfield. You you definitely trusted your defense in this game to win you the game because you played like you trusted your defense. Yeah. Um, if you trust your defense at the 30, where Jesse Merko punted it to because he had a bad day punting, then trust your defense at the 46 and go for it on fourth and one and set the tone for the rest of the game. The first drive of the game, you get fourth and one, fourth and one, and, and you just punt. And it was a 33-yard punt. It was a terrible punt. And it was a bad day for punting across the board. Um, and that's something that we'll get into, I'm sure, at some point in the video uh, that we do here, maybe this offseason, because... Just another terrible special teams day for Ohio State. But, uh, you know, I'm not here to talk about that at the first five minutes of the, the Michigan autopsy. But, like, the aggression that Sharon Moore showed um, was nothing short of incredible. Um, I will give Sharon Moore a lot of credit because he did not coach like an interim. He did not coach like he was uh, trying to impress the boss. He was coaching like he was trying to win a damn game, and he yeah. did because he was aggressive and on fourth downs, he went for it and he got a touchdown on a drive where he went for three fourth downs. Ohio state couldn't get off the field and Ohio state not getting off the field was the name of the game. Michigan continued to stay aggressive. The halfback pass tight ends across the middle, um, putting Tommy Eichenberg in situations he was uncomfortable with. We haven't seen that a lot this year. Michigan was able to do it. Um, just one, the, the biggest thing for me is one coach. And I, you know, I don't, I'm not here to just completely rip on Ryan day and the Ohio State staff, but one staff coached to win and one staff coached not to lose. And we know which one won and which one lost. And I think that's the biggest difference in this entire game, Andy, is like the aggression just simply wasn't there when we thought it would be. The aggression for Michigan's really interesting to look at because they were three of 12 on third down, but their average third down distance was 4.8 yards. And that's the fewest yards per third down that any Ohio State opponents had this year. And so that set up those fourth and shorts. Every time they went for it on fourth down, it was fourth and one, fourth and inches at the goal line or a fourth and two they had where they play action fake and threw it to Colston Loveland. So they were, you know, putting themselves in really great positions to go for it. 
And as we mentioned, Ohio State was in pretty good position there with the fourth and two and then the fourth and inches, which I think Xavier Johnson might have actually gotten. Uh, no one actually reviewed that. And that was an interesting yes. moment there in that game in the first quarter. But yeah, Michigan was in great position to convert those fourth downs. And yes, they rolled the dice. They trusted Blake Corum. They trusted their offensive line. They trusted J.J. McCarthy, who just outplayed Kyle McCord. I mean, he didn't turn the ball over, and he made three throws that I counted on my rewatch that were just like, wow, NFL scouts are going to love those because he's dynamic, and he can make plays with his legs, and he can make throws on the run. And He threw across his body a couple times and just made – one throw, now I think it was near the boundary to Cornel, uh, Cornelius Johnson and another throw to Cornelius Johnson that was on that final drive of the game while they were make, milking the clock. He threw across his body just where Cornelius Johnson could catch it. No one else could. He had to lay out for it. That helped extend that game-ending drive or almost game-ending drive. And then also the throw he made in between Malik Hartford and Denzel Burke. Yeah. That was incredible. So I, I thought I, that J.J. McCarthy just had, had, had himself another day against Ohio State. Yeah, I did too. And uh, that happens. And, and number two, I, I thought, like you are talking about, what got me through the game, just like last year, but definitely this year, I thought the Michigan quarterback was more comfortable in the setting than the Ohio State quarterback was. And that includes C.J. Stroud last year. Uh, you know, Cal McCord, like I, like I said, if you go back and just look at the stats, Pretty good stats, except for the except for the two interceptions, right? <laughs> and uh, you don't just toss those out when the game is as close uh, as this game was. The, the mistakes come back and bite you right in the rear end. But I thought JJ McCarthy kind of he looked kind of reminded me of like uh, for an analogy, kind of you know guy you guys never even heard of Bob Greasy the way he used to run the Miami uh, the Miami Dolphins offense back in the. Uh, 60s and early 70s, uh, just just made the plays when he had to, handed the ball off. Michigan does a great job. This is this is where Michigan uh, has done a great job the last several years. Forget about you know whether whether they're getting uh, <clears throat> signals or not. That that's a discussion for another day. But where they do a great job is make you totally respect the middle of the field, the middle of the scrimmage line in short yardage situations. And then, boom, they're not afraid to throw the ball. I mean, the little, like you said, the pass, uh, I think Spence pointed out, the little pass to the edge at, where the tight end beat uh, Sonny Styles on a little shoot route for a first down. That was a huge play. I mean, when you go back and decipher things and you just, you, you know, Ohio State never went for it on fourth down. So they, they were never able to show that boldness, you know, of being able to do something like that because they never were really established we're you know we're big tough and mighty and we're going to go for it kind of situation and uh and by the way that spot with xavier johnson you know you can look at that three or four different ways to me it looked like his butt hit and then and that's where the ball's dead you know we can conjecture that all we want but uh uh yeah i i go back to what you're saying it's just but I add to the fact that michigan has spent three years now more than that really establishing that whether you like it or not, they own the middle of the field in those kind of situations. Now, what are you going to do? Well, and to continue on this aggression point, because that's that's what it is. Like Michigan was aggressive in the middle of the field. They were aggressive on the fourth and ones to the edges. Yep. Uh, they, they were just the more aggressive team. And that's not just uh, a Ryan Day talking point with Ohio State on offense. Jim Knowles um, at Oklahoma State nicknamed Sir Blitz a lot. So he does that at Ohio State in year one. He gets burned by it overcorrect so much so that the quarterback who is like 30 points worse uh, efficiency-wise against the blitz, he only blitzes J.J. McCarthy four times. And there was never a point except for the sack of with Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall where I thought J.J. McCarthy looked uncomfortable. When Ohio State blitzed him, he did look a little uncomfortable. He did have to get outside the pocket. One time he gets outside the pocket – uh, Larry Johnson had a, a defensive lineman who wasn't Jack Sawyer in there who loses the edge. Jack Sawyer doesn't lose the edge on those pass rushes. And what happens? J.J. McCarthy gets loose for 15 yards. Yeah. So Ryan Day deserves a brunt of the, the blow for not being aggressive on the offensive side of the ball. But we can't just – you're not just going to let Jim Knowles uh, beat the charges here because – Last year, he was so aggressive with the blitz that he gave up big plays. This year, he was so lax with the blitz that Michigan was able to pick Ohio State apart. And that goes back to an entire philosophy program-wide, I think, right now, of not being aggressive enough. 
Ohio State relies on talent, a talent advantage, and what they perceive to be a coaching advantage to win games. And that works 11 times out of 12. But in the 12th game, you have to be more aggressive. And that doesn't just mean going forward on fourth and one near midfield. That doesn't just mean burning a time or, you know, getting up to the to the, the snap and, and getting a playoff on fourth and one and two, converting and getting a score before the half or even making it an easier field goal. It's not just on the offensive side. I think it's on the defensive side, too. Ohio State was not aggressive on the defensive side of the ball. And if you're not aggressive against J.J. McCarthy, who's a pro-level quarterback, he's going to show you that he's a pro-level quarterback. And I think that's one of the biggest differences. Yeah, yeah. Michigan was willing to get after Kyle McCord. Ohio State wasn't willing to get after J.J. McCarthy because they didn't want to sacrifice big plays. And Michigan's not an explosive offense, but they can march down the field if you don't make them uh, think twice about what you're going to do. Once they showed that they weren't going to blitz, Michigan knew Ohio State wasn't going to blitz. Yeah, and plus if Michigan's capping, Michigan's capping drives with scores one way or the other. You know, it puts you in that tennis match kind of deal. You've got to hold serve when you have the football, uh, and you've got to score. And you're right. I'm not putting it on. I'm not putting it all on either one of the halves of Ohio State. Well, the thirds of Ohio State. The special teams play, you know, like you said, I don't know why we would talk about that later because special teams, the, the the poor punting by Murko, especially early in this game, you know, just gave Michigan a great field position, for example, right on, you know. But the point is when what both sides balance each other, when you've got the ball, you've got to go score, especially when you're playing conservatively. And I do agree. I thought, I thought the Ohio State defense played conservatively in this game, uh, Anders and I were sitting there talking about it, uh, about the lack of bliss. But then when you're playing a team like Michigan, which is running the ball more than is throwing it, for example, when do you blitz? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to look at this fr- from a from a str- strategery standpoint. Uh, so I don't know if you can lay it all on it because they got burned last year big time, like you like you pointed out, by being too aggressive to a certain extent in some situations. They've got to find that happy medium, and it's easy to look back on a game after it's over and go, well, that wasn't a way to do it. Ohio State has, has lived pretty much on the bend but don't break kind of a defensive style, even though that's not what they're trying to play. That's what it turned into on Saturday. And uh, the, the problem is it didn't break, but it didn't break in field goal position. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because, Andy, I'm, I'm going to set you up here because – uh, Ohio State was forcing field goals all year, and they were they were getting off the field. And they, but Michigan is a better team than what Ohio State saw all year, and so you, that that's going to happen. And in the biggest drive of the of the season, there was not a sense of urgency from the defense, um, and so Michigan was able to use seven minutes off the clock if Ohio State the ball, and they were okay with a field goal because they knew that they that Ohio State would need a touchdown, and Michigan trusted its defense with its offense, and so they burned seven minutes off the clock. Ohio State has we exactly a minute to get down the field. And that's just not enough time with no timeouts um, in that kind of atmosphere. It, it just, the, the, the program wide, I just thought the aggression just wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, it's antithetical to the entire defensive approach this year, which is to win games on defense and to make those game changing plays on defense. And it just kind of felt like the defense was just existing. It was in base a lot. We didn't see a lot of that, as you said, Spencer, the blitzing, the creativity, but I don't even know if you necessarily need that because we didn't see a ton of that, throughout this year there weren't a ton of blitzes this year there were a few you could handpick that was nice Sonny Styles or whether it was you know Jordan Hancock coming in like there were a few of those we could handpick but this year was a lot of I want to say vanilla but just players making plays and I just felt like the players didn't make some of those winning plays that we've seen them do I mean Denzel Burke came close with what you know very well could have been an interception that was upheld as a touchdown but look at the turnover margin in this game plus two for Michigan and this was not the first time Ohio State has lost a turnover battle I wrote about this this morning on LittermanRoad.com Ohio State actually lost the turnover battle in five of their nine Big Ten games and they only won the turnover battle in three games period this year there was a couple where it was 0-0 or uh, it was just it, it was a wash between the two teams but this Ohio State team only forced 11 turnovers in the regular season that's on track for the fewest in a season this entire century. The 2005 team forced 12 turnovers. But this team, I know I was surprised when I looked at that stat because I'm like, wait, they've got four defensive touchdowns. And I think that kind of distracts from the fact that they didn't really get a lot of takeaways this year 
And when you want to win the turnover battle every game this season, but especially in this game, they weren't really doing that all season. So to expect it to happen in the biggest game of the season, maybe we shouldn't have expected that because that's not what this team has really been doing this year. Yeah, well, and said, then, but then the turnovers weighed heavily. <laughs> yeah. uh, the two that Michigan got weighed heavily. So that's why that cliche endures uh, yeah, after I, this game. Tim, I don't mean to cut you off, but like I said three weeks ago when Andy and I first started talking, you know, looking ahead at the Michigan game, the thing that stands out to me about Michigan, even in a blowout of Minnesota, because it was the first time I sat down and watched 60 minutes of Michigan football, even when it was 52 to 10, I was locked in just to see what this team does. They don't beat themselves. And if you're Ohio State and you're going to Ann Arbor, you are going into their house and you know this team doesn't beat your beat itself. You are not going to get freebie opportunities like you got against other teams. When there, and, and you knew that Michigan was going to be aggressive because they've been aggressive against you for the last two years. If the team doesn't beat itself and it's going to be aggressive against you, you have to take the aggression to Michigan. And program-wide, I will say it again, and I will continue to say it, program-wide, there is a lack of aggression from Ohio State in this game in particular. They, they, you go for it on fourth and one against Michigan State or against Rutgers or against Purdue. I don't care. You have to bring aggression into this game because the flip, the script has flipped in this rivalry, and Michigan is the aggressor. It's the aggressor. They are the ones bringing it to you that you did for 20 years. It is you have to be aggressive in this game, and Ohio State did not give its players the 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 ability to be aggressive because there were. Uh, lax defensive calls and there were uh timid offensive calls and i think that um, with the turnovers as well of course the turnovers are the tangible things that change this game but the intangibles of aggression i think is what turned this game and made michigan uh be able to walk out of here with a win because i think this was as even of a game as we've seen between these two teams in a long long time like maybe since even 40 42 39 like it was very very even 2016, I would say, is the last time we saw a game that was this even in this rivalry. And Ohio State did, wasn't aggressive. Michigan was. And so the six-point margin is based on aggression and turnovers. Turnovers, the tangibles. Aggression, the intangibles, Tim. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say after that, except <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't agree that Ohio State is not, quote, aggressive. I, I believe there's something to be said for simplicity and just playing football which I thought the Ohio State defense did for the most part. They did get three linebackers on the field a few times, things like that. I mean, they did shift some things around. They did try a few things. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just looking at this mainly as in a game, just like I looked at when I ret when I look back on them, I'm going to use retrospect again. When I look back on the uh, Ohio State-Michigan game of 2006, the game of the century, that game was what, 42 to 38 final score or whatever, Whatever it was, it was go for it. I mean, meaning not necessarily go for it on fourth down. I just meant those two teams came out throwing the football and got after it. Uh, when I look back at Ohio State's game this past weekend, I just see a couple of three plays, almost every other series that blew up, that blew up in Ohio State's face, either because Michigan got to the quarterback or Michigan had happened to be standing there like on a little quick inside swing to uh to uh Mervin to uh Spencer Spencer Travion Henderson. There we go. I'm gonna name my, even my dog here in a minute. Uh the where the where the defender was just standing right there and just hit Travion about as hard as he's been hit in three years at Ohio State. And you kind of go, as that play first develops, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this thing has possibilities. The defender is not only standing right there but that he makes the play. You know what I mean? I mean, that was not an aggressive defensive play by Michigan, but it was after the ball was in the air. I'm, it, it's just one of those things where I think uh, you were trying to get, uh, for example, defensively, you were trying to make sure people were in the right places to stop plays. And I thought Ohio State did a pretty good job of that much of the day, but then all of a sudden, you know, a guy runs a what I call an intermediate drag route, you know, all the way across the field. Denzel Burke is running with him all the way and contests the catch uh, going into the end zone. I still think that should have been looked at about three more times because uh, the guy did get the ball, but as he crossed the, the goal line, Roman uh, 
Wilson as he crossed the goal line, the ball was coming loose and Denzel Burke comes out of there with the ball held high. My point was uh, that was, I think a third down play, if I remember correctly, number one and number two, the defender was right there, but in the final analysis did not make the play. Uh, I'm not sure aggression there would have changed anything about that play, except Michigan, the Michigan quarterback threw a great uh, pass to a guy who ran a great route and a defender doing a pretty good job of defense didn't come up with it. So, you know, I don't think just laying it off on lack of aggression is the right way of looking at this. There are points when you look at the game where you could have blitzed, maybe you could have changed some things up, but you also could have been burned again on that very kind of thing too. I, you know what I mean? I can see it from both, from both directions. It's just Michigan hit some big plays when they really had to. And big plays, I mean, like that little, like I said, the shoot route to the tight end on a fourth down. They gained, what, three, four yards, but got the first down. And kept. That is such a huge play. It's not 80 yards, but tick, tick, tick goes the clock, you know. Uh, Ohio State was fighting both the, the Michigan offense and the clock this game because of that. Yeah, that's that's – that's the bottom line. Ohio State dug itself a hole. Somebody please could somebody please translate what I just said and send it to me. Succinct form. Ohio State dug itself a hole with a bad Kyle McCord interception, spotted Michigan seven points, and then right. fighting, that was fighting huge. Up, fighting uphill the rest of the game. And Michigan makes it 14-3. Ohio State responds. Michigan makes it uh I believe um 27-17. Ohio State immediately responds. But um one team made the other team punt in the second half, and one team did not. And so um, for, for all of the great things that Ohio State did defensively this year, um, that's true. Michigan, Michigan did not punt in the second half. Michigan in the last three second halves against Ohio State, six quarters against Ohio State, second half of games, Michigan has punted one time in the second half of 2021, 2022, and 2023 combined. They have scored on 12 drives and punted on one. That is absolutely Unacceptable in a matchup game like this. Ryan Day talks about matchup games all the time. Unacceptable, which takes us to where, like, where do the Buckeyes go from here? Obviously, um, the obvious answer is um, either chaos ensues and Ohio State backdoors its way into the playoff. Um, I believe Ohio State's one of the four best teams in the country. Um, they took the number two team in the country to the brink like, on the road on Saturday. Uh, but sometimes the four best teams don't make it in, and that's just the harsh reality of this sport. So the likelihood is that Ohio State's going to go um, by a lot of reporting that, that Tim, you, you've done, that some people um, are talking about. Ohio State's going to go to the Orange Bowl in all likelihood. Um, but that's not really like where this conversation goes of like where do the Buckeyes go from here? They obviously go to a bowl game that they don't want to be in. But like, you know, does, do things need to change? Does, does Ohio State – like, every time you lose to Michigan, it's a referendum on the program. So we just have to ask, like, where do the Buckeyes yeah. go? What what happens here? And I'll start with you, Andy, because, you know, this is a discussion we're going to have for at least the next week as we try to piece together um, – piece back together the, the brokenness that comes with losing to Michigan. Yeah, first and foremost, uh, something with special teams needs to change. I don't, you know, whether you're going to do a staff change, whether you're going to do a complete philosophy change, I don't know. But something needs to change because – Pretty much every game this year, there was a mistake in special teams. There were mistakes again in special teams in the most important game of the year. And it's not just missed kicks. It's not just bad punts. It's illegal formation penalties. Just It's just all sorts of miscommunication things that have just been happening. And actually last year as well, it's just it didn't get better. So that's one thing you got you to gotta address. Secondly, you got to figure out what you're going to do with quarterback. Uh, Kyle McCord, I think, is a viable option. But if if you know if you're not comfortable with him in another year, um, what are you doing there? Are you looking at Devin Brown again? Are you going to the transfer portal? Are you confident in someone's development like Lincoln Keenholz? That that seems a little bit premature to me. But you know where are you going to go? You got Aaron Nolan coming in, another highly touted recruit. Like I think that's a huge conversation to be had about what is happening at quarterback. It's the most important position. That's been Ryan Day's. I don't want to say saving grace, but that's been his best maybe attribute is, as a coach at Ohio State is, is kind of handpicking these quarterbacks, having a lot of success with that. Kyle McCord was was good this year. He wasn't great this year. He was good. Um, where do you go from there? Do you trust that he'll be great in year two? Tim? Yeah. I mean, the quarterback thing is the easy is the easy uh, bullseye to go to from the get-go because uh, 
Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud was a first-year starter in 2021. They didn't make the college football playoff, but they won the Rose Bowl in dramatic fashion that propelled them into 2022. Uh, when that was a hell of a team, let's face it, uh, you know, lost one game uh, to uh, Georgia. I think it was Georgia, right? <laughs> the only team has come close to beating Georgia over the last three years. Uh, sometimes, you know, here's the conundrum you have at quarterback is number one, you've invested a whole season into this guy getting better. This guy becoming the guy that can take you places the next year who is talented threw some balls, had some great passes against Michigan. Uh, lest we forget through three, what three touchdown passes against Michigan. That's a pretty good day on most normal days but threw it to the opposition twice by hook or crook. Michigan got two interceptions. But I, I really think what what the retarded development for this team came when, when Devin Brown got hurt against Penn State and you had that option coming on at quarterback just to, just to if nothing else, like I said earlier, just kind of shake it up a little bit uh, just from your attack standpoint. Uh, the opposition had to prepare, but, but it – didn't give you the option of putting Devin Brown in the game and letting uh, Cal McCord watch for a, a a series or two as this thing went on. And and just like as the season started, maybe settling this thing on the field once and for all, who is the more dynamic quarterback who is going to take you to that level you've got to get to to win a, a national championship? Uh, that battle is going to be joined. I don't, I don't think uh, Cal McCord is going anywhere. Uh, this offseason from the standpoint of uh, NFL, you know, remember there was, I think it was somebody even on this panel that said that could be the case. He could have a great year in 2023 and uh, move on to the NFL and Devin Brown gets his shot. I'm not going to bring that guy up, but, uh, but that has not happened. So yeah, but that, but that hasn't happened. I think we all agree. He would not be considered one of the elite uh, quarterback prospects if he was to come out. So now you've got this battle in the offseason and in the spring that's coming, uh, along with adding Aaron Nolan to the mix and Lincoln Keynotes, who I think Lincoln Keynotes has a big upside, you know. So now what do you do? Do you do you sit pat with your quarterback who you've invested a whole season in for an, from an experience standpoint, et cetera, or do you open it wide open again? I think they open it wide open again because why wouldn't you? If, in fact, they don't end up in the college football playoff and uh, – and, uh, um, uh, Kyle McCord uh, save himself there. I went through all the four names in my head instead of saying them out loud there before I came up with Kyle McCord there that, that time. But the bottom line is that's, that, that is a conundrum for Ryan Day. That's what, you know, when people say he gets paid $9 million, you know, he should beat Michigan. Well, that, you know, even if you're making $50,000 a year as a head coach at Iowa State, the, the pressure of beating Michigan is going to still be there, whatever. But you do get, you do make $9 million because you go out and recruit you're the head of the program, but you are also are the final arbiter in such things as your starting quarterback. So that's going to be an interesting uh, offseason for Ryan Day, no matter what shakes out over the next week. So, And I do agree about the uh, special teams thing. My goodness. Yeah, special teams has to change. Um, nobody's going to argue that, right? Yeah, but, but it, was, it, was the, it was the illegal uh, formation they got in, illegal. The uh, wrong formation they got in with five guys at least – uh, only six guys up. Uh, yep. That that's what you hold. I mean, Jesse Merko's going to hit a bad punter three. You know, we've seen that now. But that's just execution of a individual. But uh, when it comes to execution of the group, as John McKay, former coach at Tampa Bay, said, "I'm for it." Yeah, it's it was it was bad. Special teams was terrible this year. That's yeah. the bottom line. If you have an error, an error that we can point to in every game, then you're bad. So well, it was like a C or C minus. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I'm not going to give it that much credit. But aside from that, the quarterback thing is interesting because you can talk about Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholz, Aaron Nolan, all you want. Uh, you throw a first-year quarterback in there, they're going to have first-year struggles. Yes. And so do you want to reset that, or would you like to roll the dice with your development, Ryan Day? You are the the quarterback guru. Would you like to roll the dice uh, with your quarterback development and take Kyle McCord into year two? I think that sounds more appetizing than uh, option A there with going back to a first-year starter next year. And one thing that I caution Ohio State fans, 
we were all talking about the same things. I know CJ Stroud looked better in year one than Kyle McCord did in year one. We were talking about the same things, though. Can CJ Stroud beat Michigan? Is CJ Stroud the answer at quarterback? And then the Rose Bowl happened. So no. I would caution Ohio State fans, take a deep breath with, with the quarterback controversy um, that you want to see because a quarterback controversy doesn't always end in the perfect fashion. Um, and if, if C.J. Stroud doesn't have the Rose Bowl that he had after the 2021 season, Ohio State fans do not go into 2022 feeling as confidently as they were. So, Well, wait a minute, though. You're leaving out a big point in that whole thing, though. He still didn't beat Michigan, though. I, I know that, but I'm with you. you. Don't don't put yourself in the mindset of post CJ Stroud 2023. We're talking about it. Put yourself in the mindset of 2021, the, yeah. the month between the Michigan loss on the road in Ann Arbor, 42-27, and the Rose Bowl. Because CJ Stroud, a lot of people thought he was a system quarterback. And without Jackson, without Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson in the Rose Bowl, we were going to find out who CJ Stroud was. Well, we found out. And the month of bowl practice gives all of these guys a chance to take a monumental leap forward. And Kyle McCord, after a full year of starting in the month of bowl practice, because for 13 weeks now he has been preparing each week for individual opponents, for a month of bowl practice now, probably three weeks of that, he can sit back and, and work on Kyle McCord. And so if Kyle McCord goes out and looks good in a bowl game that's not the college football playoff, then you feel a lot differently heading into the offseason, and you know who your quarterback is heading into the offseason – um, so I caution Ohio State fans to throw Kyle McCord into the lion's den right now because I think that that there's a, a reality where he goes into the bowl game and looks really good in a bowl game, and then you have your quarterback for 2023. Yeah, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Coming out of a, coming out of a win over Michigan routinely, uh, you oh, over my 40, 40 – I mean, actually I've been to like 43 or 44 of the games. I lose count sometimes because one, one time I didn't go because I had the flu or uh, was coming off the flu. But the, the point is – you remember a play made by the quarterback uh, in those games, just like you remember a big run usually by a running back for Ohio State in those games. But you remember a huge play like JT Barrett keeping the ball in at fourth and inches, fourth and one, and then and them getting the spot in 2016. Doesn't matter. They got the spot where the you know Michigan fans want to contest it. You know, you remember uh, the Justin Fields coming back after getting knocked, almost knocked out of the game. Coming back and throwing immediately, throwing a touchdown pass to what Garrett Wilson, I think it was. You understand what I'm saying? You you're coming out of the last three games against Michigan. I mean, yeah, you can name a play the quarterback made, but but you can't necessarily make name the play. You know that uh, made the difference, like Arch Leisure keeping the ball uh, and uh, running in for a touchdown behind Vaughn Broadnax in in 1981. Right on down the line, a great throw and catch by. Uh, by Troy Smith uh, to Anthony Gonzalez in uh, in 2005, 2006, several great passes by Troy Smith who went on to win the Heisman. You don't have that since the last three games they played against Michigan of of that great play that wow that really turned the game. And uh, so that's what you're running into as you because the fans are not going to be happy until really Cal McCord or whomever beats Michigan next year. And they're not going to be happy until they show that they, they can do it. I think C.J. Stroud in the 2021 Rose Bowl gave you optimism that he could do it in 2022. I think Kyle oh, but McCord, he didn't is my I, point. I, I, I understand that, Tim. What I'm trying to say here is there was confidence that he was the guy heading into 2022, no matter what, because of the Rose Bowl performance. So Kyle McCord now has a chance to go into a bowl game and have the kind of performance that tells you he can be the guy moving forward. And – until then, I'm pumping the brakes on a quarterback conversation. After no, that, what you're saying is a great performance in the Orange Bowl or whatever. Maybe they get in the college football playoff. A great performance there quells the riot that's going on among Ohio State fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, with a year, I'm with you. A year, a year two quarterback is better than a year one quarterback unless that year one I agree 100%. is a Justin Fields. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, unless they went to the portal and, and found someone, you know, yeah, spent for sure. Field. Let's, yeah, I mean, there's always that market now more than ever. I think that there's so much to like about Kyle McCord. I think his composure is an asset. I think that's hard to come by in the sport. I think his ability to make all the throws on the field. I mean, he made Tim when you brought that point up. I agree with you because they didn't win the game, so there's not one that sticks out. But if they had won the game, maybe that throw he made to, oh, yeah. to Marvin Harrison Jr. where he slid up in the pocket. I mean. 
how many times this year have we seen him just yeah. backpedal and commit an intentional grounding penalty or take a sack? He finally slid up and got hit as he threw and threw it to Marvin, who made a catch one-handed while being tackled by Will Johnson. <laughs> I mean, that was an incredible yeah, play. That was a great play. Yeah, yeah. and and there's just – he shows <laughs> you that he can make all the throws. I think the troubling thing about Comacord is just sometimes the way he sees the field. It, it sometimes is the first read, and if it's not the first read, he doesn't see the second or the third when they might be open. Like he almost threw an interception on a pass to Cade Stover in the first half, and Marvin was open on a, on a drag, which has been so effective for them and ended up being a touchdown later in the game for him but didn't see Marvin there. That could have been a pickup of 10, 15 yards instead. Puts the ball in harm. And that's the main thing, putting the ball in harm's way. Like all season, he had one game without what PFF calls a turnover-worthy play. He had just one game without one. And C.J. Stroud had seven games without a turnover-worthy play in his first year as a starter. And so I think it's not just the comparing the passing yards, comparing the touchdown passes. For me, it's are they protecting the football? And that was always the big thing for Ryan Day this year. And yeah. Kyle McCord just didn't do a good enough job with that. Even though he only threw six interceptions, there were way many, there were two, way too many plays where he could have thrown more interceptions or he had fumbles or just dangerous plays or missing throws. And I think that if he does return or even in the, in the orange bowl, whatever bowl they end up in, you would like to see him steer clear of those. Hey, let me ask, let me throw this out there real quick though. Everybody keeps talking about the portal, you know, and I, I understand that. So, just just a quick snapshot, not not a 10-minute conversation. So who's out there that you're hearing rumblings that, you know, that is unhappy wherever they are, who who's better than the the really the three guys they've got and uh, and then the guy coming in, Aaron Nolan, who's out there that nobody right now, I mean no nobody's out there right now. I mean, I understand that, but who who is out there that you you know that could come in and be this guy? Clearly, Sam, uh, Hartman goes to um, goes to Notre Dame, you know, but he didn't end up being totally the the answer for them, as you can see. Uh, usually, a guy leaving a place, it's not like Justin Fields who left after his freshman year just because stuff that was going on there, and he wanted a fresh take. Who's out there? You know, nobody right now that I know of who matches uh, Devin Brown or or uh, or Kyle McCord or. Or Lincoln King. I like I think Lincoln Keenholz has a big upside. That's where I, that's the guy I'm going to be watching. Uh, but I also think Devin Brown does too. So I think they've got some players there and one coming that they have potential, big time potential to take this team, like you said, to the next level. You know, who who are they going to be throwing to? That'll be determined later. But uh, uh, I I always, in my opinion, I think you stand pat with the quarterbacks you got. Maybe try to hang on to them. I, I would agree because there's nobody in the portal that uh, you're going to go get that's better than who's better than Kyle McCord. I'm sorry. I thought Kyle McCord was better this year than Sam Hartman um, at me. I do too. My Twitter handle's right there. If you don't agree, uh, take that up on, on social media and I'll fight you tooth and nail because I did not think Sam Hartman was very good. And Notre Dame thought he was going to take him to a national championship game. So, like, you're not just walt- waltzing into the portal. Justin Fields is don't grow on trees, folks. So, like, it's it's a – it's a conversation worth having, but right now it's not really a conversation at all because if it's not Kyle McCord, it's somebody in the house. And I still think Ryan Day is going to trust his development of a quarterback in his second year as the starter than he yeah. will going to a first-year starter within the program. And so in my opinion, right now on November 27th, you're looking at 2024 starting quarterback Kyle McCord. And so we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens also. Um, we already talked about special teams. Something's going to have to change there, whether that's a coaching change um, Ohio State has to make sure they keep hold of James Laurinaitis, who needs to be uh, in a full-time assistant role so he can get on the trail and help develop linebackers. Um, he's going to be an absolute superstar on the recruiting trail. Ohio State knows that. It doesn't believe it. It knows it. Um, you know, Larry Johnson, every single year now, has a decision to make on his future. I, I'm not reporting anything, but he's in his 70s. Like, this is a – at some point he's going to retire. So, like, he's got a decision to make. Um you know, is is Ryan Day okay with the quarterback development um, while he's taking more of that CEO role? Is he okay with the quarterback development of of Corey Dennis and how he's doing? It's not just, yeah, and it's not just Corey Dennis involved in that. You know, I mean, there are other guys involved in quarterback development. How did how did the tight ends progress this year? Is, was he satisfied with what Keenan Bailey did? And again, I'm not saying that any of these guys are on the hot seat except for one of them, and we've already talked about that. But like Ryan Day. Now, with a third straight loss to Michigan, has a lot of pivotal decisions to make for the direction of his program moving forward. 
And it's crazy to say that after a six-point loss to one of the two best teams in America on the road. But that is that is the pressure cooker that comes with being the head coach at Ohio State. So he's got a lot of big-time decisions that he's got to wrap his head around and make, not only with personnel in his players, but personnel on his coaching staff to make sure he's got the right guys that he believes can win a national championship at Ohio State, Andy. By the way, yeah. Alabama, you know, you talk about talk about rivalry games. Auburn gets drilled by New Mexico State and Jerry Kill, or as I said, killed by Jerry Kill in New Mexico State. Comes back, Alabama hits a hail, in essence, a hail mary pass on fourth and thirty, fourth and goal from the thirty-one yard line to win that game uh, and risk elimination, risking elimination from the college football playoff consideration, even though they're playing Georgia in a, I mean. Rivalry games, man, never take them for granted. Look around the country how crazy rivalry games were this year. And and this, like I just was alluding to earlier, and we're and you just brought it up, and it piqued my my mind. Uh, Spencer is Ohio State lost one game this year by six points, and we just nitpicked how they could have avoided that. The point is they did get beat, but they're still eleven and one. This was a hell of a season <laughs> again for Ohio State, and I understand the gloom and doom. Believe me, I've been covering it forever, for back to the last century. Y'all can't say that. I can say that. Say, back to the last century. Uh, you never really get over uh, Ohio State fans don't a loss to Michigan. They will nitpick. I had a buddy of mine uh, text me over the weekend, say they never should have let Quinn Ewers go. And I'm just going, dude, you're, you're not – that's not even – that's not even – playing fair that's not even playing in the same ballpark when you want to start arguing about things we all know about the Quinn Ewers thing and how it went down and how weird it was from beginning to end uh the thing here is like you just said I mean I I like the premise of this video because it's looking forward from here that matters because you can't do anything about what just happened up in the big house and uh and like you there are some questions though that Ryan Day has to answer and this offseason from the standpoint of staff, from the standpoint of uh, of personnel and and waiting to see how the, the smoke clears on who's left, you know, on his roster, either before the bowl game, if they don't get in the college football playoff and then moving forward. So this is going to be a an interesting offseason, no matter what, for Ohio State and Ryan Day. And it all starts with the staff, Andy. Yeah, defensively, I think you got to feel pretty good about things. So, I mean, I know, look, you don't get the punt force in the second half, but they did force three field goals, which is not like something to gloss over. I mean, this Michigan yeah. offense is, is pretty good too. Uh, but I also think that for the most part, this defense was elite this year. And we didn't see the fall off that started to happen against Penn State that happened at Maryland uh, last year that then bleeded into the Michigan game and then carried over into the Georgia game. You know, like this, this defense was elite up until the final game. And then it was just okay in the final game because it did start off really well. And I think that, you know, it's not the same panic button that's being hit. I, I, at least in my opinion, shouldn't be hit with Jim Knowles. Like, I think you have to like a lot of what you saw from him this year. And, you know, if he got burned with the same stuff he got burned with last year, then that is alarming. And then you're like, okay, we need a change. He did correct. And yes, it still wasn't a happy medium, but he did make an adjustment and, I think it's a little bit like, I don't know, I don't want to say hypocritical, but all year they weren't doing those crazy blitzes and stuff. That was the philosophy uh, switch. We gave him so much credit for that. To say that he should have done that in the most important game of the year feels like a deviation of what worked so well this year. So I, I think they really just were one play away, which is what he said. You know, at Notre Dame, they got that one play. It was actually two by JT Tui Molowell. Yeah. They didn't get that one play against Michigan, but they were close. And if they did, we wouldn't be talking about that. We would be talking about how the defense really only gave up 23 points because the offense spotted them seven the first drive of the game or the first quarter of the game. You so remember, I think you, this yeah. defense you just feel good about. You remember when Ohio State came back and tied it in the second half? And I, I, I whispered to you, Anders, uh, wow, this is now, this is the moment for the defense because yes. you could sense in the crowd there in the big house. Ohio State has come back. They've tied this game. Uh-oh. Here we go. And uh, and they didn't get that stop, you know, on that on that next possession. And you're kind of going, okay. You know, sometimes the other team just has it going on better than you do on a particular day. But, yeah, that was the moment. As I call it, the moment of truth. I know I overplayed that, but I don't give a damn. Uh, that, 
that was the moment of truth for the defense because that was a chance for Ohio State to take full control of that game, and they didn't get it done. Nope, they didn't get it done. And you can be one play away, you can be close, um, but close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, and nobody gives a crap about close in the rivalry game. It is as black and white as winning or losing. It doesn't really matter how you lose. It's that you lost. Ohio State takes its first loss of the season against Michigan, 30-24. to This is the Monday after Michigan 30, Ohio State 24. Uh, a lot more to break down. Um, dissecting the game, dissecting what went wrong, dissecting what needs to go right, dissecting uh, who needs to go, who needs to stay, um, as far as the NFL decisions and transfer portal and a lot of that going on. Um, and right now you can get the full coverage at lettermanrow.com uh, on a YouTube special, $1 for your first two months with the code OSU1 when you sign up. That's $1 for your first two months when you use the code OSU1. Um, that's a hell of a deal. Uh, Tim made the 40-year bet. He's going to be covering it like he does 365 days a year for the last 40 years. Andy Backstrom, he's going to be there covering it at LettermanRow.com. And me, Spencer Holbrook, Alex Gleitman, Matt Parker do a great job on the recruiting side. As the Buckeyes look to round out their signing class and get back to beating Michigan next year. This year, third straight loss. Ryan Day is going to have to pick up the pieces, figure out what to do. We'll cover it every step of the way at LettermanRow.com. Hey, let me interrupt you, though. Real quick, Spence. Isn't it amazing? We always talk about this. Uh, It's been ever since I've started, ever since I moved up, ever since I started covering Ohio State on a full-time basis. There are three seasons for Ohio State. It's the regular season up to the Michigan game, the Michigan game, and then the postseason. And that just so feels, so felt like it this year. Y'all agree? I mean, there was everything up to the Michigan game. And then the Michigan game just seemed like, just seemed like its own little universe. Uh, And it was, and it's now gone, you know. But you, you guys are still early in your realm of covering Ohio State football. But doesn't it feel like that? Absolutely. So anyway, that's all I wanted to interject. I mean, it really is a, a game unto itself. Yeah. Ohio State was 11-0 and and then 0-1 in the second season. And 0-1 gets you a, a date uh, most likely in the Orange Bowl rather than where you want to be trying to win a national championship. No matter where the Buckeyes go, no matter where uh, the College Bowl Playoff Committee sends them, Letterman Row will be there. Uh, probably Miami. Maybe the College Bowl Playoff if we get lucky, if Ohio State gets lucky. And gets a little Gets a little championship weekend miracle. We'll see what happens. But until then, we'll see you guys over in the Letterman Lounge on the message board. We'll see you at lettermanrow.com. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys there.